Well, the students at Hogwarts are sorted into houses according to Whatever that shifty sorting hat says they ought to do I asked Dumbledore if I could be sorted He said sorry Doctor But I could get reported to the Ministry of Magic for incorrect procedure You're not a wizard, you're a Time Lord Hello and welcome to Sorted. I'm Alex. I'm JD. And this is not a Harry Potter podcast, but instead a podcast about everything else viewed through the lens of Harry Potter. Harry Potter is inherently flawed and sorting even more so, but it's still fun to view characters in this way. And we're back with another pillar of science, <laughs> like nerd culture and science fiction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The year is 2012, and there are three highly popular oh, drama no. shows. Oh, no. Supernatural. I don't want to go back. Sherlock. No. And Doctor Who. No. It's Super Hulock. I don't. I don't want to do this again. <laughs> I can't. I'm not strong enough. Isn't Supernatural getting a spin-off or something? Is it? Isn't it? You think I follow Supernatural? I don't know. For those who haven't heard the pretty fun, cool, exciting news, Russell T Davies is returning to be the head writer and executive producer of Doctor Who. A wild move that I don't think anyone would have seen coming. No. But it's great. He's coming back for the 60th anniversary to do a 60th anniversary special and then we'll stay on. That's cool. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Doctor Who. Yeah. Specifically the Russell T. Davies era of Doctor Who because this show has a lot of characters. Yeah. There are many things that we've sorted that we've decided we're just going to do one chunk of this and we'll come back and do the other pieces later. And this is definitely one of those things where there's just too much to cover it all in one episode. Also, we don't know shit about the the classic Doctor Who. (laughs) No. Like, we started... When did you actually start watching Doctor Who? I imagine it was when Tennant was the Doctor. I think so. But I think it's when he just started. Sure. Like his first. My first episodes were the Slitheen two-parter, and then I went back and watched the previous ones from Eccleston's run. But yeah, let's face it: the RTD era is the best of the revived series, at least. Moffat was good at individual episodes. We'll get into some of that, but sucked as a head writer, and people have had issues with Chris Chibnall. Apparently, hmm. I thought he was fine. The episodes are fine. They were yeah, fun. Just. The RTD era was just better. Yeah, it was much more character-driven. Yeah, and that helped. And and humour. There was was such good, like, pleasant humour. It didn't take itself as seriously. Yeah. I think once Moffat took over, every episode, especially every finale, tried to outdo the one before it. It tried to do something bigger and better and more mind-blowing and bizarre. And it, it reached the point where just it was all meaningless. I would say RTD did that to an extent. Sure. Like, his first finale, Daleks. Next one, Daleks and Cybermen. Sure. Next finale, The Master. The next finale, All the Companions. And to be fair, I think he did have a slightly easier time, like, easier job, because that none of that had been done. So, yeah. like, this was the the revival. Like, all of that was, was still new and exciting. But Moffat's idea of a fun, exciting finale goes, lol, what if this one time period and this other time period got mixed up? Oh, also, that was his idea for every story. Because as good as they were, all of his stories under Russell T. Davies did exactly that. Yeah. The Empty Child 2-parter has Captain Jack showing up from the 51st century. Mm-hmm. Girl in the Fireplace. Yeah. It's 18th century France on a spaceship. There's a line about that. Yeah. Blink. 
There's the Doctor in the past talking to Sally in the present. Yeah. The library. It's not actually another time period, but there are settings, there are scenes and parts of the story that appear to be set in the 21st century. Mm. That's just his only trick. And he yeah. does it over and over again. And it's very fun when it's like... Novel. Yeah, a few episodes here or there. Yeah, when they're the standout episodes. Because like... And also when you care about the characters. Yes. And they're like, this is the thing, like, like gushing about Blink is such a cliche, I feel like. Yeah. Because, like, everyone, like, oh my gosh, Blink, blah, blah, blah. But also, there's a reason everyone gushes about it. That's yeah. a very good episode. It's a phenomenal episode. And after that, let's run the Weeping Angels into the fucking ground. Right? They're not scary anymore. No. Why did you keep showing us them moving? That's That defeats the point. Part, part of... The narrative of Blink, like, the the filmic nature of it, was that we, the audience, were also causing them to freeze. Yeah, which is so clever. And yeah. then just... And they're scarier when we can't see them. Yeah. Anyway, Moffat, fuck that guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about RDD. Yeah. We're here to talk about 9 and 10. Yeah. The Doctors. Yeah. Uh, some of that real goofy first few seasons. Yeah. One of my my favorite lines from Doctor Who, like I saw it in my first episode in the next time section from that Slytherin two parter that has stuck with me since two thousand five. You want aliens? They're inside Downing Street. <laughs> Hilarious! Great. Why are there aliens in Downing Street? They shouldn't be there. Why is the, I? <laughs> I was fourteen. Yeah. And it was funny. Yeah. The fart jokes weren't funny. Yeah. The fart jokes are never funny. No. But at that point in time, the show was still kind of geared towards kids. More so. It's not anymore, I don't no. think. I, I wouldn't say that it is a kid's show. I think Moffat especially tried to make it as scary as possible. Uh, see, the whole time, it's always supposed to have been a family show is the thing. Yes. Like, there's stuff for adults to absolutely enjoy, but also it's supposed to be, like, educational for kids. Yes. The historical episodes are supposed to actually teach kids things. Mm-hmm. And I don't... The show doesn't do that anymore. When was the last... What's the last historical episode you remember with the 13th Doctor I guess it was like the Mary Shelley stuff was it Mary Shelley no was it Mary Shelley yeah yeah oh I liked that one Lord Byron yeah Yeah. but Alex for those people who buried their heads in the sand or are just American and don't care about other countries what is Doctor Who I like that we've talked about it for, like, a solid chunk of time. Like, oh yeah, by the way, if you don't know what Doctor Who is, um, (laughs) Doctor Who is a long-running science fiction program from the United Kingdom. Yep. uh, Primarily filmed in Wales, right? Yes. Well, the revised series. The original series, not so much. And I don't know if that's the case anymore. Fair enough. That was the case under Russell D. Davis because he is Welsh and he wanted to promote Wales. That's nice. Um, So it's a television program that was first started in... 1963. 60s? I, yeah, I just mentioned it's coming up on its 60th yeah. anniversary. Yeah, oh, okay, that's fair. That's how math works. Yeah, so it started in the 60s, ran for a really long time. Uh, I've seen some of the old episodes. Like, it was in black and white for yep. ages before yep. it got into color. Yeah, uh, 26 years consecutively at first. It finished in 1989. And, like, the classic show was, you know, it was campy as all heck yeah. and really cheesy and had no budget whatsoever. The Cybermen wore socks on their heads. Yeah. It's about an alien who travels through time and space in a police phone box because that was cheap for a prop. <laughs> and when the original actor was ready to leave because he was 
crazy hella old. He was like in his 50s. He was an old dude, yeah. He wasn't actually that old. I think Peter Cabaldi was older than he was when he left he when he started. He such an old dude. He was not in his best condition. <laughs> but they decided, what if this alien can change his face? And as a result, instead of just running for like five years and then petering away, it became an institution. Yeah. Of British culture. Because it ran so long and it became like a a staple of... British pop culture. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And it's such a big deal when like, oh, someone new is playing the Doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually it did get cancelled. And then... Well, I got brought back for a movie in 1996. Yeah. I like the movie. I've only (laughs) seen parts of it. I didn't know you'd seen it. I like the movie. It was controversial for... A number of reasons, such as proclaiming that the Doctor is half-human. However, the Doctor's own personal history is such utter bullshit that you really can't track it. Turns out having a shared continuity for 60 years, some things stick and others don't. Yeah, just don't worry about it. Take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, maybe, like, season by season, you can count... You can count anything as canon for, like, yeah. that season or that showrunner's run, maybe, but... For instance, I described Jodie Whittaker, the current Doctor, as the 13th Doctor. However, if you factor in... Well, if you factor in the meta-crisis Doctor that came off of David Tennant, uh-huh. that maybe counts, maybe doesn't, depends on the time of day. Uh-huh. And then there's... In the 50th anniversary, we met the War Doctor, and it turns out there was a whole extra incarnation between 7 and 8, because we didn't actually see that regeneration. Yeah. Um, And now, turns out, actually, maybe there were actually thousands before the first Doctor. (laughs) We don't really know. We don't know. It's all bullshit. They're making it up as they go. It's just But sometimes it's fun. It's fun, wacky sci-fi. Anyway, and then eventually it was brought back in the early 2000s. Yep, 2005. Uh, and it became extremely popular yeah. once again. Again, I, like the original show was always, I mean, it was always popular over here is the thing. Over here? I'm in America right now. It was always <laughs> yeah. popular in England yes. is the thing. It was popular in nerd culture over here. Yes. Big Bang Theory loved to make jokes about Doctor Who. Yeah. It didn't pay any respect to it or know anything about it because the writers <laughs> were fucking morons just making fun of nerds. Yeah. But it loved to make reference to it. But it's become more mainstream now, even in America. It is, yes. Uh, it was on Netflix mm-hmm. at one point. Those sorts of things help. I don't know if it still is, but it was at one point, and like it's, it's something that a lot of people have heard of. Mm, sure. Even yeah. if like they don't really know what it's yeah. about, so like having something like that on an easy, accessible streaming service mm-hmm. that like, oh, I've heard of this. What is it? Let me check yeah. it out. Like that's gonna blow it up. The Ninth Doctor is the one we're starting with. Yeah, that's the. More or less the gist of Doctor Who. So let's talk about characters. Yeah. So we're going to talk about the ninth and 10th Doctors separately. The Doctor as a character, it's an interesting concept. Like this alien that changes face and as a result, and as a result of being played by different actors, has subtly different aspects to the personality every time. Yeah, yeah. And I think that gets... I think Moffat in particular really liked to make, like, iterations of the Doctor different from previous ones sure like 11 feels so different from 10 interesting i thought you were gonna say 11 and 12 as the comparison there 11 and 12 feel extremely different Mm. it's more of it's more of a fan theory and it's a theory from more the revised series really Mm. but supposedly each doctor is heavily impacted by their previous incarnation as well sure like what they become when they regenerate and like 
how do they want to be now? Like, this is a, a starting over point. Yeah. What can I do differently? How can I be better? So the Ninth Doctor. Yes. We're introduced to this character, this mysterious alien, from the point of view of his new companion, Rose, in mm-hmm. the first episode, titled Rose, which is the way to reintroduce this character from the point of view of a normie. Someone who doesn't know what's going on. Yep. Yeah. And, like, the Doctor's been sighted throughout history, and, like, there's all these photos of the same man. Conveniently, the one we're talking about is the same incarnation that's right here, and not any of the previous ones that look different. There's also loads of pictures of the other ones, too. They would have collected pictures of nine. Yes. But that doesn't mean someone else doesn't have a collection of pictures of ten. Yeah. Well, they should. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we don't, we're not told at first this is the Ninth Doctor. I believe it was said in, like, press materials that this was the Ninth Doctor. Sure. Because, like, behind the scenes, there was a lot of web content in, like, in the early internet. Yes. Including an animated version of a discarded old story. Oh, cute. In which Richard E. Grant played a version of the Doctor at the time described as the Ninth Doctor. Okay. That was then rendered non-canonical. Sure. And... Eccleston was described as the Ninth Doctor. And later, the show would also confirm as the Ninth Doctor. They didn't want to get into that whole thing as the show began because there's a new audience. We don't need to start them off by saying, also, here's eight other people who used to be this guy. Yeah, we'll work up to that. Yeah. And this show had 26 years worth of baggage and story and build-up, which Russell T. Davis dealt with brilliantly (laughs) by basically throwing it all away, but not throwing it all away remotely, just replacing it with a more recent thing in the Doctor's timeline and explaining he is now the last of his kind after a great time war. We're not really told what that means exactly at first. It builds up slowly, but all of that backstory is gone because it's been lost to him. As a result, he is weighed down by being the last of his kind of surviving the time war it's got a huge amount of like guilt yeah and it massively plays into who this version of the character is yeah sometimes there there is a there's a lot of like comics and stuff that Mm -hmm. show the ninth doctor presumably before he's hanging out with rose Mm. it's implied in the first episode that he's just regenerated into this form sure like he's looking in a mirror and saying like oh not too bad but look at the ears he's making fun of his new appearance yeah because he doesn't know what he's going to look like until he sees a mirror yeah and at first it's implied that he's just regenerated from the eighth doctor later it turns out john hurt came in the middle yeah whatever (laughs) yeah but supposedly this all happened anyway yeah so he's, he's this super old alien who travels across time and space, sometimes just to look in and see what's going on, sometimes to help and step in, but without wanting to affect the timeline, because that's bad when it's relevant. Sometimes it's not. <laughs> it's it's ju- usually relevant to stopping things from happening when it interferes with famous people from in- Earth history. Yeah. People randomly dying in the 51st century, that doesn't matter because it's the future of the writer. <laughs> We can kill and save whoever at that point. Who's to say who's important? Oh, but Pompeii. No, Pompeii's a fixed point in time, Alex. (laughs) What's a fixed point in time? I don't know. I don't know either. It's time time travel nonsense. Yeah. Like, it's every time travel thing is going to have some time travel nonsense. Why can't we just use the TARDIS to go back to the 1800s and save Madame de Pompadour? Oh, because it's it's a fixed point in time and we're part of events now. What the fuck does that mean? Nothing. It's bullshit. But that's the beauty of it. Yeah. You just roll with it. Yeah. 
So tell me, okay, the Ninth Doctor specifically, yeah. what house, what's his particular personality? We know that he's, like, grieving, yeah. essentially. He's filled with, like, guilt that he's the, the, the only survivor. And... Kind of angry, and I think I think he wants yeah. to try and return to the person he remembers being before the Time War, but, like, he's not necessarily entirely sure how. Because we don't, even now, we don't know how long the Time War actually took place. It could have been literally centuries of his life yeah. spent fighting in a war. So he's he's gone to Earth and he's met this 20-year-old quote-unquote shop girl. He's like, hey, do you want to come with me? Like, he recognises she handles herself well in a crisis and he's willing to take her on adventures to see the universe. In the second episode, they go to the end of the world. Literally, they go to the year 5 billion or whatever mm-hmm. and watch the Earth explode. And Rose is like, okay, so you're here to save it, right? That's what you do. You show up and save it. And he's like, nope, we're just here to watch. She's like, what? I don't understand. Why wouldn't you save it? He's like, it's the year five billion. The Earth's had its time. Like he doesn't. There's no one living there anymore. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't just save things just because. He will yeah. save things when things are going wrong or when it's not fair or whatever. And also, he will often feel guilty and realize he should be helping anyway, even if he thinks he shouldn't. Yeah, because he yeah. is at his heart a good person. He is very good. Um, Nine is great. Yeah, but also like he's so prone to anger. Yes. Like, do not cross him. And I think that's that that is a part of him mm-hmm. grieving. Yeah. Like that's yeah. In the finale of his seat one and only series, uh he's got the chance to wipe out the Daleks, which reflects the fact that by this point we know the time war is primarily fought between the Time Lords and the Daleks mm-hmm. and involved the Doctor personally making the choice to commit genocide essentially on both the Daleks and his own people to wipe both of them out entirely. Only the Daleks survived. Here's now his chance to do it again. Mm-hmm. In the dark, it's like, what are you, Doctor? Killer or coward? Because, right, because it would also wipe out, like, all of Earth or something. Mm. And he's like, it's fine, there's people out in space, they'll survive. What are you, Doctor? Killer or coward? Coward, any day. Yeah. Bam! Okay, I so mean, it's not cowardice, but sorry. I need to cut you off. <laughs> You're just gonna tell me everything that ever well, happened no, to no, mine. No. I think that's an important that point is a, of his that personality. Is that's where yes. I was getting to. I didn't need as much con- that much context. <laughs> well, shut up. Uh, um, it was four really good years of television. What does that say about his character? What is his Hogwarts house? Hufflepuff? It's Hufflepuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're taking that at its face value, not Gryffindor. Not Gryffindor. Is it cowardice to say, no, I won't commit genocide? No, absolutely not. No. That's I a think villain you speaking. Could, like, absolutely make the case for Gryffindor too. Yeah. I think he's a Ravenclaw. Okay. Like, I think he wants to show up and he wants to learn about the world, the universe. Like, anytime he sees something he doesn't know, he is in love with it. (laughs) He is absolutely fascinated and wants to know everything he can about it. He loves humans and wants to understand them as well. Yeah. Which is also, like, there's a lot of Hufflepuff going on there, like, the way he cares about them. Yeah. Like, I get strong Hufflepuff vibes from Nine personally. From Nine specifically. From Nine specifically. Interesting. Um, Not your, like, typical, like friendly, cozy Hufflepuff, but, like, a Hufflepuff who has seen some shit Mm -hmm. and wants the world to be better than what what it has been. There is that great line that does come from Moffat. Just this once, Rose, everybody lives. (laughs) Everybody lives. The one time in the series that, like, an episode ends up with zero casualties, he is thrilled beyond belief. Yeah. And that's a World War II episode, by the way. Yeah. He cares so deeply, and he, like, he loves... Like so much, yeah. and, and like, nine doesn't want you to think he cares. No, absolutely not, <laughs> absolutely not. But it's so clear that he does, mm-hmm. 
and like there's so much of his character like he's clearly like fighting with himself with like he feels like any time that I feel like it seems like he is having a good time I think he starts feeling guilty about it like Mm -hmm. no like I shouldn't be allowed to have the fun or or forgive myself he I think he's constantly fighting with himself he has no time whatsoever for time wasters Mm. or for people who so not patient no he he is very unlikely to forgive you. I think the only person he really forgives for making an actual mistake is Rose. And that's sure. the mistake of wanting to see her father again who died when she was a baby. Sure. There's an example in the middle of the series that is put there very specifically of a character who is given the chance to be a companion and immediately screws up and gets alien technology. Well, not alien technology, but future technology implanted into his forehead. So anytime anyone snaps their fingers in his vicinity, a hole will open to his brain directly for him to download information directly to his brain. Yeah. That's dumb. You're going to go home eventually, bud. Yeah. Rough. And he gets dumped immediately. And that's fair. Okay, up. so not yeah. patient. So that no. does, that that leans away from Hufflepuff then. Yeah. Um, in that case, what's your argument for Ravenclaw? Well, again, apart from loving everything he sees, and that doesn't show up as much with Nine. Yeah. But a part of that, I think, is just because he has such a short run. He only has the one series. That's fair. Unfortunately, because supposedly there was some behind-the-scenes badness with Christopher Eccleston that I think has been cleared up since then. So I'm really hoping for the 60th anniversary that RTD might be able to convince Um, him to come back. Please! Maybe. Please. Ugh. I hope we get something really good for the 60th anniversary. 10 has a ha, feels like he has a bit more of like an intellectual vibe than mm. 9 does. Shall we talk about them together? No, no, no. I'm just saying like 9 doesn't I I'm thinking about like in the context of Doctor Who, 9 doesn't strike me as a Ravenclaw the way that some of the other doctors do. So 10 is more like to go, "Oh, that is gorgeous." Like be very da- excited about interesting. David things. Tennant wanted him to have glasses that he would put on whenever he saw something new, which I described in show and it points out he doesn't need them remotely. It's just to look cool and look nerdy <laughs> geek. Like Tennant, when he took the role, was very much described in a lot of media as geek chic and like kind sure, of yeah. popularized that phrase to some degree. Yeah. Nine. So like I said, his first trip to take Rose, he wants to go and see the end of Earth, mm. which like, again, he's there as an intellectual. Sure, yeah, that's fair. Uh, he wants to go and see, I forget what it is. Like in the third episode, they get to the wrong year exactly by a little bit and he wanted to go and see something that they don't end up seeing but then he's thrilled to meet Charles Dickens sure in the in the in the Sardine two-parter it's supposed to be the first contact with aliens and the doctor initially does not want to get involved whatsoever he wants this to be Earth's chance to have first contact he wants to see it yeah, from a distance yeah, yeah. he wants to observe it but it's not his place to I think every t- everywhere he takes Rose okay also a fun thing with the first series you know they never go to an alien planet Oh, nice. In a single episode. And that was a deliberate choice by Rusty Davis nice. to slowly reintroduce things. Like the first alien planet they go to is New Earth in the first episode yeah. of series two. Yeah. Uh, they go to like a bunch of spaceships orbiting Earth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, never an alien world. And there's very there's relatively few alien races outside of episode two where they just had a bunch of them. Sure. Okay, so I guess I could I, I can see Ravenclaw, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I think that's I I have a theory that mm-hmm. the Doctor as a whole is probably Well, that's the thing. I want to talk about the two characters separately, but I think ultimately the Doctor is a Ravenclaw. And I think that's the thing. The doc- While every different version of the Doctor is, different. is portrayed differently, 
the doctor is a Ravenclaw. Yeah. Through and through. At his core, Mm -hmm. like, the character. I said his, but now I'm like, that's not right. The doctor as a whole is probably leans Ravenclaw. Like. Yeah, but I still think it's worth like looking at the individual characters and seeing sure. how they differ. Sure. If only just, what is this podcast if not character analysis? Uh, exactly, yes. And that is, that's what we're here to do. So the 10th Doctor. Yeah. David Tennant. One of the most popular Doctors of all time and I think probably still maintains that position. Probably. Like, the fourth Doctor from the original run was absolutely the most popular, not close. Yeah. Helped by the fact that Tom Baker was in the role for seven consecutive yeah, series. Yeah. The longest by far of any Doctor. Um, Do you think David Tennant is, like, the most popular because that's when most people started getting into the show? So that's, like, the majority of, like, modern fans. I think that's their first Doctor. So it's, or that's do you definitely think it's, part, part of it. Or do you think it's because he's hot? <laughs> The fact that David Tennant is many people's first Doctor is definitely a part of it. But not just that. He's also just brilliant in the role. He's very good. It helps when you're a massive fan. David Tennant loves Doctor Who. Yeah. So fucking much. Yeah. He's a big nerd. Yeah. Absolutely adores the show and the world and everything about it. Peter Capaldi was similar and Mm. was unfortunately just not given the material to work with and was written as the crankiest old man ever. When like... You know, that's not who he is. No. He's not cranky from... Like, I get it. You wanted to have contrast from Eleven. But what if this old man character, instead of being like the previous old man character doctors, <laughs> was actually the most childlike of all? Right? The most, like, wonder, wondrous. Fuck we, you, Muppet. Anyway. We'll talk about that another time, maybe. Um, yeah, we're not here to talk about those ones. So, for the sake of ten, let's talk about what formed him. What forged him to be different from Nine. I forget the specifics. It's Rose Tyler. Right. It's 100% okay. Rose Tyler. <laughs> that's the part I remembered, yeah. but like, I'm like, I don't remember exactly what well, happened. That's, here's the thing. The only canon we have with the Ninth Doctor is with Rose. It's mm. heavily implied that he regenerated into Nine very shortly before meeting Rose. Yeah. Almost the entire time he is in this form, he's with Rose. Rose has a huge impact on him, such as impacting like his accent slightly. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a, he has a more common accent. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's a lot more cheerful in general, at least at first as the Tenth Doctor, is because of Rose and because yeah. she helped heal him as the Ninth Doctor. Yeah. Which I think is probably why he quote unquote fell in love with her. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> but as a result, he is so much more happy go lucky and he's so cheerful and He's overcome some of that grief yeah. and that guilt and he's Allowing himself to be happy again. Until every single finale <laughs> tries to break the cutie. <laughs> series two, his first series, Rose is sucked into a parallel universe. Like, moments before... And, like, they're separated seemingly forever, moments before he can declare his love for her. Of course. Series three, Martha chooses to leave him. I love that they make sure to yeah, do that. Yeah, Martha yeah. chooses to leave because she, her entire family were tortured for a year. And it's granted, mm. it's in a quote, year that never was because time was undone, but they still remember it and yeah. have to live with the consequences. That's some trauma. Donna's brain almost burns to a crisp because his brain was injected into it. Yeah. And he had to be separated from his best friend. Rose yeah. and Martha were great and did other things for him. Donna was his best friend. Yeah. Martha helped him recover from the loss of Rose. Donna was just his friend and was Yeah. Like Martha never had, wanted anything. Martha more. had a one-sided crush on him, which was a bad call for the show. And she got over it though. 
Yeah. Donna never wanted any of that. They were just friends and it was great. I and love the, like, <laughs> you want to mate? <laughs> you want to mate? I just want a mate. A mate. She's like, no, none of that. <laughs> well, you're not mating with me, sunshine. I love them. Yeah. Helped by the fact that David Tennant and Catherine Tate had incredible chemistry and became uh, such good friends, which is why we love seeing them together in everything else. DuckTales! They're in fucking DuckTales together! <laughs> this is why we're... I don't know, if you listen to that episode, this is why we were so excited about Because ah! we just like them together. They're so good together. You've seen the, the, the skits they did for, like, comic yeah. relief stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Which is based on her comedy sketch show, yeah, the Catherine yeah. Tate show, and he shows up and it's, oh, it's just so good! They're so good together. And like the DVD commentaries, they just sit down and watch episodes together and just have a laugh. That's delightful. Yeah. Tell me about Ten. What's Ten's personality? What's his deal? Happy. Yeah. Until he's broken. Okay. That's about it. Like he's still a big nerd. He, like he puts on glasses to look cleverer and to look mm-hmm. more impressive. He wants people to think he's clever and impressive. He does want people to think that he's... Yes. Yes. That he's smart and that he knows everything. He doesn't always know everything. But no. he likes to He likes to make people think that he does. Yes. They did, in the episode Midnight, which is late in series four, like, they did a companion light episode. Instead of having both the companion and the Doctor out, Donna was barely in this episode. It was about the Doctor being... And it was, like, a low-budget episode as well. Mm. And so it's all about the Doctor's words. Russell Davis realised that... Like, the Doctor always is a wordsmith. He doesn't fight with weapons. Yes, he his, talks his way His main out tool of is a screwdriver. Yes. And he talks way out of problems. And that was doubly so for Ten. Ten exemplified that more than anyone else. Yeah, yeah, and so yeah. faced this enemy that was taking his words from him. And that was, like, a big deal. It was clever. The Tenth Doctor uses words to fight and to win. Yes. The Tenth Doctor is absolutely a Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Like, yes. like not, not, there is not a doubt in my mind that he's the also so fluffy and lovey. But he's a Ravenclaw. Yeah. The dog, because the dog's a Ravenclaw. But that's just, that's how Ten and Nine differ. Yeah. D- Ten seems a bit more, like, openly enthusiastic about yes. pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. He wears his heart on his sleeve a bit more than Nine does. <laughs> I think you mean his hearts. <laughs> Time Lords have two hearts. Yes, I, okay. I'm explaining for... Uh, to the, our, our audience. Our audience who I'm assuming may or may not have seen Doctor Who. Let's talk the companions. Yeah. Let's talk about Rose Tyler. Rose Tyler. Billy Piper. Yeah. She's, I think she was actually 19 when she's introduced. Whatever. She's introduced as a an ordinary shop girl. Nothing special about her. She failed all of her exams at school. She's not clever. Yeah. Like they make, there's like a line in the, her first episode where she's like, I don't have any grades. I don't have a job. Don't have this, that, that or the other. But you know what I do have? A gymnastics badge. I got the silver yeah, or something. Yeah. Like, she does she, a like, swing in. Uses that. That's fun. As is often the case with a human companion, Rose brings compassion to the Doctor because mm. the Doctor can get caught up in his head and be a bit alien about things and lose the compassion for people. The companion he's, is there to bring him back down. He's been alive for a very long time. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get disconnected from yeah. the world when you've seen so much. So companions ground him. I know it's done worse, but it's brought. It's brought to attention mostly in The Runaway Bride, the first episode after Rose has left, mm. where the Doctor is, like, drowning the Rachnos, this spider empress or whatever, with, like, absolutely dead in his soul or whatever, like, yeah. until Donna is there screaming at him, like, to get out and to, like... And, she, like, at the end of that episode, she says, like, I'm not coming with you. Like, I, 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 I'm scared of all that shit. I don't want anything to do with it. But you need someone to stop you when you go too far. Yeah. Find someone. And... 
that's again brought like made clear in the episode Turn Left, where she's removed from that event and he dies because no one's there to bring him back down. Yeah. Rose did that really effectively. Yes. That was like her thing. Rose also very much gets overly caught up in what's going on. She falls head over heels for this mysterious man from the stars who can show her this, that, and the other. And at first she falls in love with the Ninth Doctor. And then she's very sad when he regenerates into a man who's significant, who looks like he's significantly closer to her age and in general more attractive and in general nicer. That almost immediately vanishes when she realizes, wait, this is just a strict upgrade for my needs. It still feels different. Like, oh yeah, I know. Still, like, I, like, I get that. If the if someone you've fallen in love with changes everything about them, yeah, at least how they look and how they act, you're gonna be a bit off put. Yeah. Until you realise it's the same person at the core, and now they're harder. Nice. Like, it's implied that at first Rose wanted to travel with the Doctor, because she, when she is initially offered to come with him, she turns it down, until he reappears and says, by the way, it's also a time machine, and then she runs right to him. <laughs> and it's implied later that the main reason she was willing to go is because he, she thought that the Doctor would take her back to save her dad's life, ah. and so that she could bring him back and have her dad in her life, and it was very selfish in that way. She, like... Mm. She comes around on that and, like, her dad has to save the day in that episode by letting himself be killed. Yeah. And, like, she learns a lot from that and the Doctor ends up forgiving her as a result. She... She can be a bit... You said selfish. And I mm. feel like she she can be. She can oh, be a bit, much. like, childish yes. and a little bit immature. She's introduced with having a boyfriend yeah. who she abandons immediately and breaks up with pretty much almost immediately as well. Like Yeah. So, like, I... That's kind of her her flaw a little oh, yeah. bit, is that she's a little bit... Very much. What's the word I'm looking for? Vapid? No, I don't know. Maybe. She is, but that's a separate point. Fickle? Yeah, sure. I guess. Like, yeah. I, she's young. Like, she's not... Yeah. That's, that's how you are when you're young, you know? Like, yeah. you're not thinking too seriously about anything. Yeah, and she has to learn. Yeah. And she does. And then she does, and she has some great character growth, and she becomes, mm-hmm. like, so much better. But what house is that? Yeah, I don't know. Like, there's parts of that that feel Slytherin, but other mm-hmm. parts that feel so far from Slytherin. Yeah. She has no ambition. No. Like, no drive. She was just, mm-hmm. like, coasting through life and not really worried about more. Let's go through the houses. Is she brave? Yes. Yes, she's extremely brave. Yeah. Um, and she is a bit headstrong. Mm-hmm. We'll jump into things. Yeah. Um, it, it could be Hufflepuff as well. Maybe. But that doesn't quite feel No, right. she's not loyal. No. She's not, not hard working. No. No, I think she's I think Gryffindor is it. Yeah, I think Gryffindor is it. Yeah, Gryffindor for Rose. Rose the Gryffindor. Up next is her replacement, Martha Jones. Fun fact about Russell C. Davis. Mm-hmm. He sucks at naming characters. Or at the very least, he sucks at surnames. Yeah. Because he uses the same names over and over yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. Like, a lot of these names are also names that he's taken from previous shows, like uh, Queer as Folk, because it's his, like, breakout work. Yeah. Like, Rose's boyfriend is Mickey Smith. Yeah. And the Doctor's... I mean, it's, these are names from the like, classic series, but the Doctor go, often goes by the alias John Smith and his, old, like, classic companion, Sarah Jane Smith. So there's, yeah. like, so many Smiths at one point, and it's like... Yeah. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. It's fine. Me too, but I'm terrible at names. Then he um, gets Jones. Ah ha ha. It's funny. Smith and Jones. Yeah. It's whatever. <laughs> um, Martha. Martha. Is a doctor. Uh, well, she's a training doctor at first. Sure. She qualifies as a doctor off screen between series three and four. Yeah. 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 Um, she meets the 
doctor because he's like in the hospital? He he's in the hospital because he's detected there's going to be an alien there, so he's like pretending to be a patient. Hmm. And then the hospital goes to the moon. Yes. And the Jaduna there. Yeah. The Jaduna great. Bofo show mo go loco podo. I love the Jadoon. Yes. Okay. So Martha Sorry. is treating him. I remember I specifically she was treating him, but no, I remember specifically, she was? or at least checking up on him. Sure. I remember specifically, she has like this moment where she like is listening to his heart. Yeah, and you're then, right. Like, and realizes that there's two, two of them, and she's like, "What?" And I think he probably winks at her or something. I think so. Yeah. Mm. Um, and that's sort of her introduction to this strange mm. world. Um, and then he ends up kind of like calling on her help mm-hmm. later. And then oh, and then he gets him. his new suit. Yes. Red and blue are often used, like, specifically in Doctor Who. Yes. Red generally for past, blue for future. Yes. What, like, during the Russell T. Davis era, when the time stream was shown and the tiles were moving between it, if it was going to the, if it was going forward in time, it would be blue, back in time, red. That was then reflected in David Tennant's suits when he had a second suit. He would wear his brown suit in the past and his blue suit in the future. Often, not necessarily always, but often. Yeah. Which Um, is great. It is very cool. Uh, Like, the detail of that is delightful. Yeah. Uh, Martha, though. Yes. She, uh, at first, is not particularly impressed by this weird alien. Or at least she doesn't want him to think she is. Yeah. But she gets a crush. Yeah. Because, oh, there's a man from the stars, and... He's so cool. They thought we wanted that at that point. Yeah. One of the, like, probably the weakest part of Russell T. Davis' era on the show. Yeah. Like, Martha's crush in particular. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Martha's ridiculous romantic attraction aside... Mm-hmm. She is extremely curious. Yeah. I think she likes to figure things out. Sure. I think she likes to figure out how things work. Mm-hmm. Um, her role as a medical professional in particular, I feel like leans Ravenclaw. I think her, I think she's, I think she's Ravenclaw. Sure. I mean, yeah, th- like, training to be a doctor is inherently a pretty Ravenclaw pursuit. Although, like, there's the aspect of wanting to help people. That's true. Like, it's it comes out as how you... She doesn't feel like the most compassionate. Uh, maybe she, later she is, I guess. Yeah. I mean, part of that is... It's difficult, though, because part of that is, as the only companion, your role is to be the compassionate one. Yeah. Like, it's why... Like, another thing that I wish had happened more under Russell Davis, and admittedly, uh, future writers would get better at, is having multiple companions. Yeah. So that they can each do different things. One of my favourite episodes for this is the Doctor's daughter. I think I've gushed about this before. Mm. But it's... Martha Short is in this one, in fact. It's after she's left, but she returns in a two-parter where she's now part of a unit, a military organisation, as like as their liaison. But she's trying to make it better from the inside, she says, and da 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 Yeah, yeah. And then she accidentally gets taken on this adventure. And in the ep- episode, the Doctor gets sort of cloned and has a daughter. And so there's the Doctor, the Doctor's daughter, Martha, and Donna, the next companion, and each of them has a very unique role in that episode, and I really enjoy how each yeah. character is utilised. And actually, to be fair, a big part of Martha's role is being the compassionate one in that episode. Yeah, okay. She is, she is separated from the group and ends up with these aliens who can't talk, but she helps them to, like, she helps them navigate things, and she heals someone immediately, and, like, sure, yeah. shows she can be useful and helps end the war in that way. And okay. So, yeah, she's absolutely compassionate. Is there an argument for Hufflepuff? Well, hardworking, obviously. Hardworking, I think yes. that's a thing. To fix things. And anyone who's going to be a doctor is going to be freaking hardworking. Yes, yes, and compassionate, and yeah, all that. Um, patient, patient etc. Loyal. Loyalty is kind of an interesting one for companions because a mm. lot of the time they're abandoning everything they know and love when they go with the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and even though it's not necessarily supposed to be the case or how whatever, it often ends up kind of feeling that way. Yeah. 
Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's time travel. You can be brought back to, you know, this, yeah. a moment after you left. Yeah. It's not like you're actually leaving everything behind. Yeah. They'll just show up several years later in a couple minutes. It's fine. <laughs> or se- several years older, is what I meant. Yeah. Um. <laughs> or if you end up like Rose, it turns out you've been missing for a year. Oops. Yeah. And that fucked up the timeline for people so hard, by the way. Like, mm. people were trying to track the timeline so much, particularly during the Rusty Davis era. Yeah. Like, not helped by the fact that there was always a Christmas special every year, so you were never given time to catch up. Mm. And then they would start dropping time references, and it's like, wait, but that doesn't work. Oh, no, the times. It's a time travel show. There is no timeline. <sighs> sure. <laughs> You're probably right on Ravenclaw for Martha. There's a Ravenclaw argument. There's a Hufflepuff argument. Mm. Um, I could see Gryffindor as well. So in the finale, the reason she chooses to leave the Doctor in the end is because she realises the danger and harm it can cause and the fact she wants to be there to support her family Mm. in recovering from that. Yeah. Also very much see Slytherin. Sure. In a way. Yeah. Super ambitious. Super... Mm. She's got such, like, a drive to do the right thing and to do Mm. the best for the people in her life. Mm -hmm. Like, it doesn't quite feel Slytherin to me. Fair enough. Yeah. She would put other people's needs before her own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff. Hufflepuff for Martha. Cool. Up next is the best one. (laughs) Donna Noble. I do love Donna. Catherine Tate. So good. Hiring a comedian... It was a great choice. Yeah. Because she was so fucking fun. She's so fun. She was also known, which is like yeah. not necessarily the case for a lot of these actors. Yeah. Also, she was older yeah. than the previous two companions who were like around somewhere hovering around 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. Martha may be a little older, but still. Um, and she was never once like a romantic. No. Uh, interest at all. They did, like, it became a thing that every do- every character would end up, or every companion would end up kissing the Doctor so they could include a kiss between them in the trailer. Sure. In this instance, it was purely because, oh, he needed a shock to his system for an antidote to poison to work, so she grabbed him and snogged him. Okay. What? Eh, whatever. Yeah. Um... Donna was introduced... In a Christmas special, well, the end of series two, showing up in a wedding dress in a fucking phenomenal plot twist. Yeah. Because, like, she, this was, a, like, the height of her fame as well. Like, she had had this really popular, successful comedy show. Mm-hmm. So people were, like, like knew who she was. Yeah. When she turns around, unexpectedly the tide is going, what? 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 Yeah. Like, so much so that David Tennant doing that became a running gag and they did that, repeated that the next two years yeah Ugh, it's so fun yeah. she's like so different from yeah. the other companions yeah she is feisty as all hell yeah she will talk you down like the 10th doctor talks donna talks back yes yes <laughs> and that's exactly what he needs to seriously he at that needs, point especially yeah. like he was able to kind of push martha around a bit like for like half of martha's time as in the tardis it was just like a thank you gift. She wasn't. He didn't consider her a real companion who was going to take her back home and drop her off. Mm. And it's like, wh- no, what? Treat her. Give her respect, damn it. Yeah, it was like a. That was a mess. She also initially said no to him, which yeah. was huge. And he needed that. He needs to be told no. He doesn't get his way all the time. Yeah. And Donna's able to give that to him even more. When she's reintroduced, it's because she's investigating an, an incident that doesn't quite add up. And she's right. It's an alien incident. She's there because she wants to meet the doctor again and find out what's going on and everything. But, like, her instincts are so spot on. Yeah. She is... 
Oh, she's everything. She's like she's she's pretty smart. Like mm-hmm. she's uh, so brave and like she takes initiative and she does what she wants. She doesn't take shit. Going into the doctor's daughter again. My favorite episode for character analysis. <laughs> Donna's role in that episode. She but well, her role is actually two parts. One is to help the doctor recognize his daughter as a part of him and part of his race. Like. He is, like, initially not willing to accept her as being his daughter or being a part, a Time Lord or anything like that because he's like, no, it's our shared history and trauma and blah, 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 blah. And then she gets him to acknowledge, no, she's, she is one of your people because she's got two heartbeats and yeah. everything. And he gets him to turn around right before she dies until she doesn't. Yeah. But the other thing she does so good is she notices as they're traveling through this underground labyrinth of, like, this war that's been going on for generations. Mm-hmm. Are a series of numbers on the walls and she's like those numbers seem odd I don't get it so she starts taking notes on them and like at one point the thought might be that like maybe they're like construction reference numbers and then she works out that they're dates uh. and they actually reflect the fact that because of how this area works they clone soldiers fully grown ready to go and fight so it has they, like they had initially thought that maybe this war had been going on for centuries no no it's been going on for a week <laughs> But just generations have passed by in that time. They yeah, were told yeah. it's been going on generations. And she's the one who solves that problem with her skills as, quote, the best temp in Chiswick. Yeah. And that's brought up so often. She, she, Her skill set is very specific and used in that way. Yeah. These skills she's used by bouncing around offices. She's picked up a little bit of everything. She's kind of a jack of all trades. Yeah. And she think like she has low self esteem. She thinks she's nothing special, and the doctor helps her to see how special she she's is. So good. And I don't like the way she's written out, where she has to forget all that. And I get it's oh, it's tragic, it's but not, it's yeah, it's not even that tragic for her. Like yes, okay, she's like she's lost it. She doesn't know what she's lost, and it's so sad for the doctor who has to know what she's lost. Oh, Paul. Oh, the pain for the cishet white man. Yeah, it's Davies. You're a gay man. Come on, <laughs> be better. <laughs> giving a second chance maybe he will be yeah but Donna <sighs> Donna's everything like I don't know what house to put her in I feel like Gryffindor I want to go Hufflepuff Hufflepuff's also good yeah because despite the fact that she doesn't career wise she doesn't necessarily excel she doesn't like move up in the world mm-hmm. however okay so she's perfectly content being a temp but she's a damn good temp she's very good yeah she's the best at her job yeah. And then she's the best at what she does after that, where she's hunting down the doctor and finding him and investigating all these strange yeah, goings yeah, yeah. on and spotting spotting that. She works very hard. Yeah. She's very determined. She's extremely loyal. Of all of the companions, I feel like she's the most loyal. Mm-hmm. She's the most compassionate. Yeah. Not close. Like and here's the thing. And she takes no shit. Yeah. Which like isn't often a Hufflepuff trait, no. but for the sake of like standing up for what is right and for the, the justice end of mm-hmm. things, absolutely. She's impatiently patient, if that makes any sense. I, yeah, I get that. The following two episodes where she starts traveling with him, it's a two-part one. I love this two-part because like thematically as well, the fire and ice. They yeah. go to the, the, Pompeii and the volcano with Vesuvius, and then they go to an ice planet. I love them visually. Yeah. And also thematically, it's all about Donna teaching the Doctor to care and showing him what he's not cared about. In the Pompeii episode, she's like, just save someone, anyone, because he's, like, refusing to save anyone from Pompeii. And she convinces him to save just one family Mm. because, like, come on, just have some compassion in your heart. And he does, and she changes him. Yeah. And then the next episode is the return of the Ood, who were introduced as this slave race who, like, 
hold these translator orbs in their hand. Turns out they were actually holding brains in their hand and were lobotomized and it's fucked up as shit. But they were used as slaves. They're house elves. Yeah. They're just house elves. Yeah. And they don't care. They don't mind being slaves or whatever. Ha ha ha. And Rose questioned that in the initial episode, but it wasn't the focus. Yeah. Donna meets the Ood for the first time. It's like, oh yeah, I met them once before and I, got, I didn't realize how bad it was. And she's like, how dare you? There's a, I mean, there's a fun gag where he's like, well, what distracted you? The, the devil. Because it was some kind of giant demon yeah, looking yeah. thing. But again, Donna gets him to care. Yes. She reteaches him the compassion that he's lost from losing people. Yeah. And that sticks with him after losing her to a point, is the yeah. thing. Like, he starts losing a bit towards the end of the run because they. <sighs> that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But Donna's great. Yes. Hardworking, patient, Hufflepuff. I love, yeah, I like Donna for Hufflepuff. I think she's Hufflepuff. Um, she very much fits into that, um, will take the lot and treats them just the same, like, (laughs) but, like, in the most positive way possible, where, like, yeah, she's a little bit of everything. Yeah. Like. But also, like, Hufflepuff is the place for her to be, to bring out those traits and make them shine. Yes. (sighs) I love Donna. And she's ready to go to the Planet of the Hats. I remember Donna the best. Yeah. Series four is hands down my favorite series because David Tennant and Catherine Tate are great together. Yeah. The series is so fun. It's got the first, and as far as I know so far, the only episode that was written to be primarily a comedy episode, mm. uh, the, the Agatha Christie episode, <laughs> was written first and foremost as a comedy. Nice. Which, you hear an Agatha Christie episode, you really think it's going to be a comedy? I guess so. Was that the unicorn in the wash? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, I remember because it was stupid. It was stupid, <laughs> intentionally so. Yeah. Uh, I hope I hope when RTD comes back, the show is stupid again. Yeah, <laughs> it's gotten so like pretentious and so full of itself. Not so much with Chibnall. I think he took a step back and yeah. made it a little bit more grounded. But... Yes, and we'll get to the groundedness when we get to the lightning bolt round. Yes, because I'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah, then. yeah. Like I just I I want the show to just be goofy time travel hijinks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Our final main character to talk about is Captain Jack Harkness. So we talked about this earlier when I was making this list. There are other characters we could put in the main characters round. We could put Mickey in here. We could put whomever. Jack feels main character. Yeah. He is a he's only he's not billed as a main character when he first appears, but he's in five episodes of series one. And he gets a spin-off. He gets a spin-off after that, which like we could talk more about that another time maybe, but still. I've never watched it. N- none of it. Oh, some of it was okay. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. But then he comes back in his run in series three, he is billed as starring. Hmm. Um which is the first time they had three names in the credits as well. Neat. And then he also shows up again in series four and here there and everywhere. And he's shown up twice in the Chibnall run now. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He showed up once, and I think he showed up again in the latest episode, which was like a Christmas special. Which New Year's we or haven't something. watched. We haven't watched, but yeah, we should. We should. Not likely to see much of uh, Captain Jack anymore, though, because John Barrowman, his actor, has been outed as a sex pest. <sighs> anyway, Captain Jack, however, is a fun character in spite of that. Yeah. He's introduced, well, he's introduced as this suave, futuristic spaceman with cool tech turns out he's a con man yeah and he's just trying to sell the useless junk and get out of dodge and he's from the 51st century you see Mm. that means he fucks (laughs) uh pretty much everything yeah uh the actor at the time in interviews said that he would fuck anything with a postcode um he supposedly in the 51st century humans have started traveling the galaxy with one mission to crossbreed with everything we find. No. That's canon. No. Do you not remember this? 
No. Yeah, that's why Jack's the way he is. It's not just Jack. It's everyone from his timeline. No. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In Torchwood, the spin-off, where he's the main character, another supposed time agent from his time shows up. Um, at one point, there's, there's like a line where he's like describing, oh, what is that? That is gorgeous. That's a poodle. No. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, wanted to fuck a poodle. I, okay, so like, I'm not against interspecies relations in a sci-fi context. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But like, I don't like the entirety of humanity being boiled down to, they just want to fuck. I don't think it's necessarily everybody, but I think they probably would have sent out people specifically. For, I, I don't know. I'm I'm too ace for that to sit well with me. Like I don't I don't like that. I mean, it's also kind of a joke. I know. I think like Jack was the first bi or pan character, probably in the history of the show, and probably one of the first bi or pan characters to be portrayed on the BBC in general. Sure. <laughs> At least to be portrayed positively and yeah, what have you. Pan in particular, you don't see very often. No, they definitely didn't use the words for it. No. Which they could have, but... Like, here's the thing. It was introduced in a Moffat episode, but he was a character from Rusty Davis. A gay man who has made so much queer positive content. Like, he made the show Queer as Folk, and he's made queer dramas since then. At one point in the last few years, he said that he wanted to dedicate the rest of his career to writing queer drama and queer TV. Which makes me really excited for his return. (laughs) We'll get to that. (laughs) Make Doctor Who gay. <laughs> anyway, Jack. Jack was basically, like, he was going to run away, but the Doctor convinced him otherwise and got him to come back and save London and Earth, essentially, from this, what turned out to be a kind of bomb, inadvertently. Jack took it to space and was going to blow up with it, but the Doctor saved him at the last moment, and then went on adventures, and he became a better man. Like, his parting line to the Doctor in the finale is, like, I wish I'd never met you, Doctor. I was much better off as a coward. <laughs> <laughs> because the doctor made him a better person. Yeah. Significantly so. Yeah. Doesn't he end up being immortal? So he gets a massive turnaround in his character at the end of that series one finale when he's killed by a Dalek. Rose, using the power of the TARDIS in some nonsense, mm. ends up bringing him back to life. Yeah. T- too much. <laughs> he can no longer die. He, like, it's a, more of a thing in Tortured. And, like, it's explained later, he ends up sent back in time and lives for centuries and centuries and is aging slowly, you know, Wolverine style or whatever. Mm. And, yeah, he can never die. So Jack becomes a lot more jaded after that. In Tortured, he is, like, a lot darker of a character. Yeah, I mean, when you die that much, like, that's... We don't see that very much in Doctor Who because when he's reunited with the Doctor, partly because it's a more family-friendly show, he's a lot more cheerful again. And the Doctor also brings that side out of him a lot more. And helps him recover from some of that trauma. But he becomes very much, well, like a hero. Yeah. An unwitting hero. Who, yeah, he wouldn't have chosen it, but he but does he's it well. But he still chooses a lot of bad paths and does a lot of, like he, he it's kind of like a, like that Dark Knight quote, like the hero we need or the hero <laughs> we deserve or whatever. Yeah. Like Jack will often do the sorts of things the Doctor wouldn't do. He will make sure. those difficult decisions that hurt a lot of people to protect a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, people aren't happy about it. Torchwood straight up, like, he sacrificed a child to save everyone else on Earth. But it was, I think it was, like, his own grandchild or something. From, like, a relationship he'd had throughout many lives. Yeah. And so his daughter, I might be misremembering this, it was years ago. But, so then his daughter, the mother of this child, is fucking furious. Because that's her child who's just been sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah. Valid. Yeah. So Hogwarts House, 
Jack Fox Gryffindor. Lol. Ha ha ha. I don't know if he is a Gryffindor. Like he is brought around from that cowardice, thanks to the Doctor. I could see Slytherin. I think probably Slytherin. Yeah. So can be a Slytherin and a hero, like especially yeah. an unwilling hero. Yeah, very much an unwilling hero, um, with a lot of self-motivated interests. Yes. To him, um, grows a lot from that, but you know we saw it too soon or whatever. That still happens. Yeah, yeah. Which means the curse is broken. <gasps> it's no longer the case that we decide between Gryffindors and Slytherins by if they fuck, because Jack is the most fuckable. The most fucker. <laughs> and he's a Slytherin. Yeah. Gryffindors fuck, but Slytherins are fuckers. <laughs> that adds up. <laughs> Which means now it's time. Which means it's time. It's time. For the lightning bolt. For the lightning bolt round! <laughs> so I'm going to say this at the head just before we get into this, because a lot of these a lot of them, these characters are like the friends and family of the companions. Yes. Which is one of the things that Russell Davis is the best at. Yes. Like... And Moffat basically threw in a, away entirely. None of his companions have family. Not really. No, no, none that stick. Well, apart from Rory's dad in two episodes. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Basically, no, no real family. Chibnall kind of fixes it because you've got a grandfather and grandson, or step-grandfather, yeah, whatever. Yeah, that are traveling together, which is very fun. It's great. Yeah. But, it, like, what's gr- what makes the show... The, what makes the RTD era so grounded is the fact that everyone's got family at home. Um, the third companion, Chibnall's third companion, I can't remember her name. Uh, Yasmin? Yeah. She has family. Yes. and That they, comes up as, They like, show up a couple stuff. times, yeah. at least, yes. It's better. And she has, like, friends that mm. we've met and stuff, and... Yeah. Like, a job and a life. And, yes. Yeah. It's better with Chibnall, but nothing like it was with Rusty David. That's fair, yeah. Because the characters we're going to talk about here, and we'll talk about them... They're really good, fleshed-out characters, <laughs> and it makes you care about the lives these people are leaving behind. Yeah. So yeah. let's talk about these characters. Yeah, so let's just jump into it. Tell me about Mickey. Mickey Smith. Mickey the Idiot. Mm. Ricky. <laughs> Mickey. <The> pizza. <laughs> That's the bit you remember. It was a gif on Tumblr for... I don't know why, but uh, it was always there. So when we first meet Mickey, he is Rose's boyfriend. And he's kind... He is a bit useless. He's a coward. I mean, he's kidnapped by aliens in his first appearance and is very shaken by that. That's fair. And then, like... So, like, Rose and the Doctor had then gone for a year in their time, even though they've only experienced, like, a couple days or whatever. Mickey has changed in that time and become a lot more jaded and, like, been trying to research the Doctor and been learning stuff. He becomes a bit of a computer... Mm. Not expert, but he's good with computers. Yeah. He becomes their man and a man for a bit. Sure. Um, he ends up travelling with them in series two because like he's grown since then. He's off the doctor gives him the chance to join him as a companion, but he feels he's not ready, but he doesn't want Rose to know that, so he has the doctor pretend on his behalf that he's still like not welcome. Which yeah. is that's a really good interaction for them. Yeah. And because the doctor initially doesn't respect him, but grows. Yeah. He travels with them briefly in series two and ends up uh, replacing a parallel universe version of himself in order to like fight back from a resistance and like help them that rebuild that world and goes on and has his own adventures. Ends up returning and marrying Martha off screen. It that's only brought up because in uh, David Tennant's final episode when he's going off to say goodbye to all of his companions, there's a bit of a scene where Martha and Mickey are together and it, they mention that they're married and it's like, what? Why? Yeah. Why did you marry off your only two black characters together that basically never interacted? That's fucked up. A little bit. Yeah. A little bit. It wasn't good. But Mickey was good. He was f- fun, clever, shrewd. I'm going to go Slytherin. Okay. Yeah, I like that. Tell me about Jackie Tyler. Jackie Tyler is Rose's mom. She's a lot. <laughs> 
in the, the first time she meets the Ninth Doctor, she tries to seduce him. Yeah. And he just straight up says no. <laughs> She's a very fun character. She's phenomenal. She's so and like fun. it's said in like a lot of the commentaries and stuff, and at the time, Russell T. Davis was like adamant that before she and like Simpson Rose left the show, he would get her to travel in the TARDIS. Yeah. And she did, not far, but she did. And she yeah. like then she returns in like the big crossover episode of all of the companions from that time and I believe she is given star billing alongside all the other companions nice. which is phenomenal that's awesome yeah um I think she might also be a solo right sure now. but the like these are the people Rose has at home that we care about yeah uh tell me about Lady Cassandra so the Lady Cassandra O'Brien dot Delta 17 <laughs> is supposedly the last human in the year <laughs> 5 billion you forgot who she was, but then you just remembered? No, I knew who she was. Okay. It's just like, yes, the last human. Played by Zoe Wanamaker, who you rem- may recall as uh, P- Madame Hooch oh, okay. in Harry yeah, Potter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun fact, many actors from Harry Potter are also in Doctor Who. They're all, they're all there. They're also all in love, actually. I didn't even talk about David Tennant, because David Tennant in Doctor Who happened just after he was Barty Crouch in Harry Potter. I didn't think about it either. Yeah, there was fan fiction about the Death Eaters, and Barty Crouch would also just like be the Doctor, and yeah. he would just sometimes sneak off to go in his TARDIS. It's like, so, th- so this, uh, this, this wizard Nazi is also the Doctor, huh? Yeah, that's. I'm sure that's fine. Anyway, Lady Cassandra, uh, and I forget that she was like trying to kill the people on the spaceship to get the insurance money or something, and then she returns later. Wanting to get a new human body. She's had so much cosmetics and surgery done that she's lived for hundreds of years, and now she's literally a piece of skin stretched on a sheet and has to be moisturized by a spray. And it's, Yeah, I was wondering, I was like, okay, when are you going to say it? When are you going to say it? Moisturize, moisturize me, me, moisturize me. <laughs> and like, her dying line before this screen, skin explodes, granted she comes back later, but her dying line is, I'm too young. <sighs> Stupid. Lady Cassandra is super Slytherin. She's, pr- she's just greedy selfish wants things for herself human yeah the epitome of humanity mm. fitting for the last human yeah how about the face of Bo <laughs> the face of Bo is a giant head that speaks <laughs> cryptic wisdom yeah so it's kind of just there in the background in the first appearance and kind of just there in the background in the second appearance saying like next time we meet I'll tell you a secret and he says you are not alone he's like what does that mean turns out the master's alive okay how do you know that? Why do you know that? What? Because maybe it's Jack. There's a line in at the end of series three where Jack mentions that he used to be known at, like in the Beauchene Peninsula or whatever where he came from as because he was such a pretty boy and he was like this like the first one to join the Time Agents who is known as the Face of Bo. What? Because the Face of Bo has lived for billions of years, but maybe that's just what happens when you're immortal and you age that long. It's never explained. Who knows? Uh... Cryptic wisdom head. Ravenclaw. Sure. Tell me about Harriet Jones. Harriet Jones, MP for Flydale North. Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. Yes, I, I know who you are. <laughs> Harriet Jones, former Prime Minister. Yes, we know who you are. <laughs> Harriet Jones is a politician, an MP. She's introduced as like a backbetcher MP who ends up helping the Doctor and Rose save the day when like she just gets caught up in this alien invasion and becomes like one of the only surviving politicians in England. There's a purge. And because of how well she handles this, she ends up becoming prime minister by the next time we see her. But of course, because she's ascended to actual power, she's become semi-corrupt and like kills off these aliens who are leaving these aliens who had invaded and were, were posing a threat to earth, but the doctor had got them to leave without killing them. 
Yeah. But Harriet Jones blows them up and says, like, sometimes you're not here, Doctor, and, like, we've got to be ready. So we're sending a message to the stars. So the Doctor destroys her career and she has a change of heart. Like, she has valid points is the thing. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very, like, nuanced thing. Like, she, from her perspective... She is doing what is best for her planet. Yeah. For her entire people. But, like, it's not really presented as though it's nuanced. And when she yes. next returns, she's like, I regret my... De- or, I, and actually, I think it's like, I regret how things end with the Doctor, but I stand by defending my planet. And, yeah. like, p- she rallies the Doctor's companions together, and the Daleks f- track her down and kill her. And yeah. that's why there's that great line. She introduces herself as former Prime Minister, and the Daleks know who she is for some reason, which is great. But, like, she died... To help the Doctor save the world. Because yeah. through it all, she cared. She she wants to save... Yeah. She might not necessarily have always done things the best way, but she always did what she believed to be the right thing. Yeah. I'm going Gryffindor. Nice. What does MP stand for? Member of Parliament. Oh. Alex, tell me as much as you can remember about Blondfell Foch Passamere de Slavine. From the planet Raxacorica Falapatorius. She's a yeah. That's all I remember. Sorry, in the episode with Harriet Jones, the Slovene are aliens who are large and fart a lot, haha funny, who steal steal people's skin and wear them as skin suits and have done this to infiltrate the British government, the most powerful government in the world, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly targeting the fattest members because the skin suits had to be large enough for them to get inside because mm. they were bigger than the people and had to shrink or whatever. I, meh. Yeah. Yeah. Blonde is one of the core members who is shown as like as this woman. In her first appearance, she doesn't really stand out for them. She then returns in a later episode where she's trying to hide on Earth as a, a mayor of a Welsh town um, until she gets caught by the Doctor. It's a very like casual episode. It's a lot of them just sitting around talking. They find her apprehender and then like they just sit in the TARDIS for a bit and then go to a cafe for like her last meal or whatever because they're going to take it to her planet to be tried and she knows she'll be killed there and like it's a lot it's a very subtle episode she wasn't actually just being a good mayor she was going to blow up the planet and ride sure. like a surfboard into the cosmic I forget exactly House? the words uh, you tell me oh right sorry um Slytherin sure Slytherinorin <laughs> uh tell me about Adam so Adam mentioned him earlier this companion from the Dalek episode in the year 2012 I think the not so distant future Mm. who like was obsessed with alien tech he worked for this alien tech collector to organize and catalog it and was in love with it and like just wanted to understand it so Rose and the doctor give him a chance in the TARDIS he fucks it up immediately because he's a self-centered idiot Mm. uh, I'm still gonna go Ravenclaw though he's a stupid selfish Ravenclaw but he still just wants to learn and understand things his curiosity got the better of him yes tell me about Pete Tyler Pete Tyler is Rose's dad. Yeah. Uh, he's a cool dude. Yeah. We're introduced to him dead, and we go see him in the past. We, we also meet an alternate universe version of him who's a very successful businessman who survived and didn't have a daughter, but mm. also was an undercover agent to try and stop the guy from doing the Cyberman stuff, I think. That's a lot. I think he's a Gryffindor. <laughs> okay. Tell me about Sarah Jane Smith. Sarah Jane Smith, one of the most popular companions of all time. She travelled with the third and fourth Doctors back in the classic series and returned here because people fucking loved her. She got a spin-off series until the actress tragically died. Mm. Uh, she's great. She was a journalist. So, like, she was reintroduced in kind of a Donna way. She wasn't necessarily seeking him out, but she wanted to uncover mysteries and aliens and such as well. Um, and she, unlike Donna, 
like, never found the Doctor again. Like, the Doctor initially left her on Earth because he was going to Gallifrey, which supposedly at the time didn't allow non-Time Lords, so she couldn't go there, and he just never made contact with her again. Oof. Yeah. Well, until he did, accidentally. The Doctor's a bit forgetful sometimes. Yeah, she's very much a Ravenclaw. Yeah. A good Ravenclaw. How about K-9? K-9 is a robot dog! <laughs> Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! All dogs are Hufflepuff, but all robots are Ravenclaw! Oh no! Oh, it's like Sophie's Choice. I think K9's a Ravenclaw. Oh! See, putting him on this list, I was just like, oh, he's a dog, he's a Hufflepuff. I forgot the robot thing. No, I think. I think he acts more Ravenclaw than Hufflepuff. Okay. I think he's more robot than dog. You've heard it here first. House Hot Take. Not all dogs are Hufflepuff. More robot than dog. Not all dogs are Hufflepuff, though. This was this was hard. Tell me about Francine Jones. Francine Jones is Martha's mother. Martha's family are the weakest, mm. like, on Earth group. Again, partly because they only get one series, and also, like, there are a lot of them. So she was introduced to having a big family, and most of them don't get much time. Francine gets the most of it. She is very distrustful of the Doctor, partly because Harold Saxon's people are telling her not to trust him, because... This is when the master is posing as an earth politician to try and get elected prime minister. And she's listening to that and she essentially helps sort of trap the doctor towards the end and track him down for the master. Really, this is her mistake after she gets imprisoned for a year as a slave and dressed in a freaking fetish maid outfit because haha, the master wants to belittle them. And it's it it like it's it's some dark scenes in yeah. that section. Yeah. She's doing this in theory to look out for her daughter without necessarily having the best information. Yeah, the best like logical approach to it or whatever. I'm gonna go Hufflepuff though at the core of her though. I think that's yeah. Okay. How about Sylvia Noble? This is Donna's mum. Yeah. She <sighs> There's a lot of similarities with Francine. Yeah. She's very distrustful of the doctor. And to be fair, that's because the Doctor did show up and kind of ruined Donna's wedding and th- sent her life spiraling down the drain a bit because her hu- fiancé disappeared in mysterious circumstances that Donna yeah. won't talk about. Yeah. Um, I think, like, she clearly, like, wants the best for her daughter yes. and stuff, but, like, she doesn't always... She doesn't always, like, believe in her own no, ability to do that. Like, she thinks that she knows what's best for Donna, and Donna doesn't always agree. She's got a lot of that, like, overbearing mother archetype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um... But I think that comes from a place of... I, I think it's Hufflepuff. I think it's like an overbearing Hufflepuff mm-hmm. and not necessarily... Like, not a thoughtful Hufflepuff. Sure. I think you could you could definitely argue it being like the Slytherin caring about your own type of angle. Sure. Um, because, like, she is very protective and close with the people who are important to her and will very much push away anyone from the outside. Like, she doesn't want anything to do with the Doctor, even after... The Doctor has changed Donna's life so hard. When Donna then has to be left there, she's just like, I think you should leave now. Yeah. Um, she's also, like, clearly the reason that Donna has some, like, self-worth <laughs> issues. Well, yeah. Um, it's it's a close call between Hufflepuff and Slytherin, I think. Fair enough. Um, I'll go Slytherin because, yeah, I think she she wants the best for very specific people. And she's doing that in a... Okay. Yeah. Not necessarily kind way. Tell me about Wilfred Mott. Wilfred Mott is the best! Yeah. Played by Bernard Cribbins, who first acted in Doctor Who in 1966. Nice. Um, in a movie. Oh, nice. Uh, they did two cinematic movies of Doctor Who. Oh. That were not canon. 
and had like <laughs> were very far removed. In this, the there was no the Doctor. This was a man named Doctor Who, who was a human inventor who oh. invented the TARDIS. Oh. Bernard Cribbins played essentially like the original companions of the show. You had the Doctor and his granddaughter and his granddaughter's two teachers who got caught up in it. In this, Bernard Cribbins played a police officer who went into the TARDIS because it was a police pub- phone box yeah. and he was trying to use it for its intended purpose at the time of calling for backup because that's how police had to operate at the time. They didn't have radios and phones and such. Yeah, that's fun. In the stuff we're actually here to talk about and care about, uh-huh. <laughs> he was brought back initially in a cameo role just like a, as a newspaper vendor in the Christmas special that had Kylie Minogue in it. Okay. Um, and then brought back for Donna's series as her grandfather, and partly as a gag, uh, replacing her father because mm. the actor who played her father in the Christmas special had passed away ah. after filming the first episode. They filmed that episode and oh, like wow. so like the scenes of like do you remember him being on the hill with his telescope looking at the stars? Vaguely. And yeah. there's like a scene where he then like Donna and the doctor show up in the TARDIS to wave. Like that was filmed with her father's actor. Oh, but wow. they like they recast it and like brought him in because that was fun. Yeah. Um and he's great. He absolutely adores his granddaughter and wants the best for her and recognises that the best thing for her is to go off with the Doctor. He's much more supportive of her choices. And, yes. Yeah. He loves aliens and the concept of it <laughs> and is watching the stars and there's a scene where he's like stargazing and misses the spaceship flying behind him. <laughs> In- Look, the sky's big. I <laughs> um, can't see all of it. It was... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and like the Doctor is surprised to see him again when he does. He then returned in David Tennant's final two episodes as a two-parter as essentially taking the role of his companion for that mm. because they kind of wanted Donna for it but they couldn't do that because of how they've written it so Donna's in the episodes like in the background but he's the one who's helping out and David Tennant's Doctor the Tenth Doctor ends up essentially sacrificing himself to save Wilf yeah. like Wilf is the reason that David Tennant left <laughs> he's just so loving and supportive and believes in the people around him he's Hufflepuff he, yeah. like he loves Donna he loves the Doctor too quite frankly yeah. like there's a line with like the Doctor was like I, I'd be proud to call you my dad but even though he's like so much older and he's like yeah. you must look like we must look like ants to you I think you look like giants yeah that's like, a really good yeah exchange. it's not that like all people do it's that people like you look like a giant Tim Wilf because you're great yeah Tell me about the Daleks. I love the Daleks. Exterminate. The Daleks are like the oldest reoccurring. The iconic villain. Like, yeah, Doctor Who villain. Um... Made from so many spare parts laying around <laughs> BBC Studios, such as whisks and plungers for their weapons. Yeah, they're just, they're clearly just cobbled together from random stuff. They're like the most terrifying force yeah. in the universe. There's a, there's a line in one of the, like this episode that has the Daleks and Cybermen together, like, you like because there's a millions of Cybermen, but only four Daleks. Like you would defeat the Cybermen with four Daleks, and it's a reference to the fact that in the original show they would only have four props, but then just have them cycle around on a track, like on a treadmill, essentially to yeah, make it look yeah. like there were more. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I love. I love mm. the Daleks. So they genocide and hate everything that's not a Dalek. Yes, they're full of murder. They're mm. little murder tin cans. They're actually squids in tin cans. They are, which is. Hilarious to me, actually. It's horrifying. Um, They're gross. They can't go upstairs. Unless they can. They can't breathe outside. Like, they can't live outside of their little... Except sometimes things. they can. Daleks, I mean, obvious, obviously I know, sometimes no, here's the, they can. Daleks were kind of infamous as well for having restrictions placed on them because they were so powerful. Then having those restrictions overcome. Yeah. In a variety of ways. Um, They're very much... I feel like there's a parallel there with, like, 
humans. Like, hmm. you, if there's something you can't do, they'll build something that allows them to do it. Which is, like, kind of ironic for a Dalek, because they hate anything that's not a Dalek. Oh, yes. They hate the concept of evolution and adapting and changing. Yeah, but they're so good at it. Mm. Like... Makes you think. Mm. <laughs> the more you um, know. Daleks are Slytherin. <laughs> they're, like, all of them. All of them are Slytherin. Yeah. They're... I love them. Cybermen. Tell me about Cybermen. Cybermen are the second most common... Like, the second most recurring and second most known Doctor Who villain. They are... It's kind of a classic trope, right? Like, yeah. they upgrade the body. Initially, like, it's just, like, replacing the brain. And it's interesting that it played into different, like, fears at the different times they were brought in. So in the classic show, they were playing into the fear of, like, new surgeries and mm. bionics and things like that. Whereas in the revived show, they were brought in to play on the fear of new technology and Wi-Fi and all this. Like, yeah. people are initially taken control of by ear- Bluetooth earpieces that they're wearing. Yeah. Which is, it's good to play on, it's a clever way if you want to scare people to play on those fears. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're the classic, like, they will assimilate that very Borg-like, like... Yeah. A classic trope. I'm going to say Ravenclaw. They want to... They want to save and upgrade all people. Yeah, and yeah. They want to make, make them s- perfect and strong, metal. Blah, blah blah blah. They're not just here to destroy for the sake of you're different and I hate you. Like yeah. they, they think that they're doing a good thing. You are technology. weak. Cybermen are strong. We will upgrade you. Um, of like tip like classic Doctor Who villains in particular, like the Daleks, I adore them. They've never once been scary to me. <laughs> not, not once. But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> the the Cybermen. Hmm. Like those, those could be spooky. But like the class, the the first Cybermen introduced were literally just wearing like friggin' morph suits with eyes painted on them. Yeah. Like, but like kids in the sixties, fucking terrified of Daleks. Yeah. They were f- sure. Like, yeah, I believe it. Tell me about the Master. The Master is another Time Lord hmm. and the Doctor's sh- oldest friend. Me. <laughs> sure, I should say specifically because this is another Time Lord. We're talking about. John the, Sim. The John Sim version. To be fair, like, in this era, we've also got the Derek Jacobi version, but we don't really get to see him as the master for more than three seconds. Sure. So it doesn't really count. Yeah. John Sim, however, we see a bunch. Yeah. Um, he is unhinged. Mm-hmm. Psychotic. Yes. Like, the master <laughs> in the classic series was always dark and sinister. Yeah. He was never insane in the way John Sim's version no, is. No. Um, classic... Because I've seen some of the some mm. of the classic stuff. Classic Master was a bit more Moriarty to the Doctor yes. Sherlock. Yes, that, like, and that was super by design. Yes, yes, he's the a mastermind mm. behind mm-hmm. the things pulling the strings. John Sims Master is uh, <laughs> a fucking mess. He takes over the world, and then there's this scene of it like I can't decide whether you should live or die as he's pushing around the Doctor who's been aged to decrepit this is where the master's taken over or whatever so like there's a voiceover announcement rise and shine everyone your lord and master is standing on high playing track five <laughs> <laughs> stupid uh, what uh, hogwarts house oh yeah the master is a slytherin yeah this version of the master this is. version of the master is and a slytherin the master is written a lot like a lot more differently from the doctor so other versions i would say probably end up in different houses there is at least one version of the master who's definitely a ravenclaw yes uh next up is the tardis the tardis stands for time and relative dimension in space <laughs> supposedly named by the doctor's granddaughter but later it turns out that all tardises are just called that so that's not true this TARDIS is shaped like a phone box. TARDISes in general... Um, have a chameleon circuit. Which allows them to blend into 
their surroundings. Their surroundings for whatever planet you happen to land on. Planet, <laughs> location, time period, all that stuff. Yeah, it's like programmed to know yeah. what's going and on. And they played with that in the original series as well, when there were more TARDISes. Sometimes other timelines would show up in things that actually look, look like they fit in. Yeah, but this one's broken mm. because it's stolen and can't be repaired. And yeah. Well, also, it, the Doctor just likes it. So initially, it was just broken. In the first episode of the original series, it's like in... 1960s London, yes. so that's the form it's just taken. And then it gets stuck, and the doctor's like, oh, it's a bit damaged. And nowadays it's like, oh yeah, well, I like this shape. It's fun. It's, it's just getting used to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, the TARDIS is alive. It's semi-sentient. Definitely. And there's the timeline flowing through it or something. Sometimes the TARDIS decides where the doctor needs, yes. where and when the doctor needs to be yeah. in, and won't leave until whatever is there yeah. is settled. In the Moffat run of the show, there is like an episode where the TARDIS is given human body and says like, I may not have always taken where you wanted to go, but I always took you where you needed to go. Yeah, and I think that was clear even before like oh, she said oh, yeah. that aloud. Like, the reason that line is written there is because everyone knows that. Yeah. Like Neil Gaiman wrote that line because he was a fan of the show who understood that aspect of the TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. The TARDIS is very much a character as much as any other companion yeah. is. That episode was tied to the Doctor's Wife because the TARDIS is the Doctor's Wife. Yeah, wrecked River. Yeah, fuck you, River Song. <laughs> River's got nothing. Oh, in fact, we saw it in the Rai series as well um, because when the ta- Time Lords came back and like the, the Clara died or whatever, mm. so the Doctor went to the end of time on Gallifrey to get her back and there was the Lady Me and um, Clara and Me ended up going off on their own in a TARDIS that ended up being shaped like a diner because right. the Doctor is telling the story to Clara in this diner and then it flies off and we see it flying yeah so there you go that's fun yeah don't know why it didn't look like one on the inside though also it's bigger on the inside yeah you didn't mention that did you um... not yet I'm mentioning it now <laughs> it's like the clap like you know Mary Poppins handbag and the Doctor's TARDIS are like the two ones of the thing where like it's bigger on the inside and that's yeah yeah. What house is the TARDIS in? Ravenclaw? I don't know. Yeah. It knows everything. Yeah, it's a Ravenclaw. And finally, mm-hmm. Alex, uh-huh. at your request, <laughs> please sort into a Hogwarts house based on its personality, the polarity of the neutron flow. <laughs> I forgot we changed it to that. I was like, the sonic screwdriver, because that's what originally what we had <laughs> No, you wanted to sort the polarity of the neutron flow. Alex, what is the polarity of the neutron flow? I don't know, but we need to reverse it. I don't know is the correct answer. (laughs) The... Reverse the polarity of the neutron flow may well be a phrase you've heard before, even if you've never seen an episode of this show in your life, because it was popularised particularly during the third Doctor's run of the classic show and (laughs) entered into the lexicon and is now just a thing that sci-fi writers and nerds like to throw around as like a kind of tongue-in-cheek gag. You know, you'd fix the thing. Yeah. It's science. The third Doctor's actor, John Pertwee, did not want to have to remember a bunch of scientific dialogue, so they gave him one line that clearly didn't mean anything that he could say at any given time. And so now it gets played on and messed around with all the time and shows up in other things. I'm certain, I can't remember it, but I'm certain that Scrooge McDuck would have said something like that at some point. Probably. To play on the fact that it's David Tennant. Uh, (laughs) And it it probably isn't like that exact wording. It'll be like something, something neutron flow. Oh, the polarity, the reverse. Yeah. Um, what Hogwarts house is it, Alex? Ravenclaw. Is it? Why? Neutrons are neutral. <laughs> and therefore... <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, 
Uh-huh. They they see everything equally. Why is that radical? Um That sounds Hufflepuff. It's a uh... Neutral also sounds Hufflepuff. Okay, then it's Hufflepuff. Fine. And that <laughs> I guess is Doctor Who the Russell T. Davis era sorted. Duh. turn to sort it out yeah so the author is a turf yes that sucks it does you know who's not a turf mm. russell t davies nice because like okay so there's maybe a dodgy joke here or there but russell t davies absolutely writes queer dramas there was a, a particular drama in the last few years where that included a trans character and played by a trans actor and Rusty Davis had specifically said he wanted a trans actor to play this part, and if they couldn't find the right actor for it, they would rewrite. Yeah. Like, that's how it should be. Yeah. Yes. Rusty Davis in 2005 gave us a character like Jack Harkness. Mm hmm. Like, an openly pan character who would yeah. kiss everyone on screen. I was reading a quote from Rusty Davis earlier that was like, I think Doctor Who had so many ga- gay fans because gay people are more creative and imaginative. <laughs> like, just fucking say it. I'm thinking, like, but also I think a big part of it is probably the fact you made it a safe and welcoming place for gay people. You represented them in a way that basically nothing else was doing at the time, in a way that nothing else was doing at the time, that for so many shows would still be a big deal today. Yeah. And, like, okay, what? Even just knowing that, like, the person behind a show is, you know, like, has your best interests in Mm -hmm. mind. Like, that's that's such, like, a comforting thing. Russell Davis gave us everything he did at the time, and that was like two, that was fifteen years ago. Yeah, like like the landscape was so different back the then. The mid two thousands. We've talked about this on a, on a previous mm-hmm. episode where like things at that period, like it, we were starting to see a shift. Yeah, this was like early in that kind yeah. of stuff becoming acceptable, and it was for a more kind of a more mature audience. It was never considered a kid show. It wasn't animated, and it was on at seven o'clock at night. Sometimes later. But it was still intended for all audiences, yeah, all ages, yeah. with parents like making sure that they wouldn't scare their kids, but only they wouldn't scare them. Not that there was anything inappropriate about two people of the same gender ha- kissing. Yeah. It's 2021. Yeah. It's going to be like 2023 when Rusty Davis takes over. Yeah. Britain, in the last few years in particular, thanks to certain authors, mm. has really taken on its identity of Turf Island. Yeah. You know what might help with that? Russell T. Davies. Russell T. Davies. <laughs> give us a trans companion. Yeah. Played by a trans actor on one of the biggest shows on television. Absolutely the biggest show on British television. Can you imagine how much impact that would have? Be fucking incredible. Not only just, like, giving, like, trans people that representation that they need, mm-hmm. but for all of those people who are watching the show who maybe don't have a strong opinion mm-hmm. on... Who hear what people like the author have to say about it. Yeah, and, like, don't really question it, don't know any better. Mm-hmm. To see representation for a character, especially, like, a real well-written, very good character, that's mm-hmm. what Russell T. Davies does, mm-hmm. is real well-written characters. Something like that would be so huge. So to bring it back to Harry Potter, mm-hmm. we'll sort it out by giving it to Russell T. Davies. <laughs> yeah, any future Harry Potter projects, he can have them. Yeah, until a few years ago, I wanted like a BBC series of Harry Potter that could take its time because it's a TV series yeah. to adapt 
every little bit and to have slow episodes and fun and quiet episodes yeah. and happy episodes and yeah. cute episodes and then you know everything with the author it's like well no i don't want anything no, to do with it anymore. anymore but a writer like russell c davies could save it and make it good and pro-trans and pro-lgbt and good Give us the gay Dumbledore we deserve. Holy shit. Can you imagine how gay Dumbledore would be written oh by RTD? <sighs> we deserve so much better. There was an episode, the Shakespeare Code, where like there's like the day is saved by having them the them shout out Expelliarmus yeah. and like it's like lots of ha- happy Harry Potter jokes and Yeah. Yeah. We could have that again with Russell T. Davies. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for listening to Sorted. And thank you to the Pocket Podcast <laughs> Network for hosting us. You can find other cool shows on the network such as Cult Classics, Steampunks, and our other show, Poker Makers. Thank you to Matt Majakamo of the Wampum Willows, who's our theme song, The House of Awesome theme song. And if you agree or disagree with our sorting, you can find us on Twitter at SortedPod. You can also find us both individually. I'm at CodenameJD. And I'm at Pachu, P T C H E W. And while you're there on Twitter, tweet at us your favorite Doctor Who monster. Like, there's yeah. so many of them. We'll sort there's those. so many. Well, we sorted the Daleks and the Cybermen, but what about the Autons? The Ooh. plastic robots? Ooh. Or just, we taught, sorted a Slitheen. What about the Slitheen in general? What about the Ood? What about the Sontarans? Mm. Remember the Sontarans? Yeah. Bye! Bye! I'm starting a new house and it's called awesome. Starting a new house, it's called awesome. Starting a new house and it's called awesome. Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket. Do you like the Dresden Files novels, tabletop role-playing games, improv, adventure, or butt jokes? If not, I don't know if we can help you. Hi there, this is Michael, the host and game master for Green Mountain Mysteries, a Dresden Files RPG actual play podcast about four airsatz heroes fighting wizards and monsters in Burlington, Vermont. Come for the grand urban fantasy adventure full of diverse characters. Stay for the many butt jokes. Seriously, one of the players is playing a proctologist. It's just chef's kiss. You can listen to new episodes of Green Mountain Mysteries every Wednesday on the Pocket Podcast Network or wherever fine podcasts are sold.